This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. In the last 24, 36 hours, you've watched your three highest paid players go down, and some of it being scary. Mike Trout. Mike Trout will lead off here in the top of the eighth inning. He calls time, and I'm not sure he can swing the bat right now. Will certainly come out of the game here. Anthony Rendon. Rendon fouls that one off his foot and hits the ground. And then to watch Shohei Otani. I think it's going to be it for Shohei. Get that fingernail, maybe. He's going to leave this game as far as pitching is concerned. Now Jerry Lane has ejected Phil Nevin, who seemed to be waiting for that, waiting for Jerry Lane to turn around so he could go out and get in his face. Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimension Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, a writer and researcher at MLB.com, joined by Matt Myers, MLB.com National Content Editor. Today is Thursday, July 6th. This is going to be our final episode for the All-Star break. We are obligated to talk about the Angels and all of the mostly bad things that have happened, but also one pretty cool thing. Matt and I are going to revisit our preseason predictions and see how we feel about those right now. It's been a weird season. The spoiler alert is not great. Uh, We're also going to talk about the Orioles, who seem to keep calling up interesting young position player prospects, and maybe we can invent some trades for them to move some of those guys. We're going to talk about how much of the rise in stolen bases is fueled by just two players, and then, of course, Matt and I are going to get into a couple guys that you need to know more about. Matt, I hate to start with bad news. Mike Trout's hurt. He broke his left hamate bone. He had surgery the other day. He will be out for four to eight weeks, so, you know, call it mid to late August. And if you were watching the Angels game the other day, he got hurt. Anthony Rendon fouled the ball off his leg. He got hurt. Shohei Otani left early. It seems like it's just a blister or fingernail or whatever. He'll be fine. The Angels are 45-44. They are 4-11 in their last 15. They are third place in the West. They are tied for fifth in the wild card. Does Mike Trout's injury doom any hope we had of Shohei Otani appearing in the playoffs as an Angel? Yes or no? Yes. Yes, obviously. Yes. <laughs> It's yes. I mean, it's yeah, it's yes. I mean, they've they've they're already start they were already starting to play bad. They've lost you know seven of the last ten. They're barely above five hundred. They're already on the outside looking in. Toronto is also on the outside looking in and is better than them. Seattle is right behind them and probably right now is better than them. So it's a bummer, but it's I'm not sure what else to say because Otani's having a season for the ages. We want to see Trout and Otani. It would have been fun to see Trout and Otani in the playoffs together. There's also the whole like secondary part of like what does this mean for the rest of Mike Trout's career? He hasn't played a full season in what like six years. It's it's all kind of a bummer. Would you believe? And I didn't realize this till I looked this up. The last time he played more than 140 games in a season was 2016. Now I'm cheating a little bit here. He played exactly 140 games in 2018, and 2020 was of course a shortened season. But if you look over the last couple of years, like last year it was the back and the year before it was the calf and before that it was a foot and a wrist and a thumb. And he's only, I don't want to say going to because I don't know the future, but to this point in his career, would you believe he's only played four seasons of 150 or more games? And those all came right in the beginning there, 13, 14, 15, 16. Since he was 25 years old, he has not had a 
full season. Am I downplaying a 140 game season and a 134 game season? Probably I am. Uh, do you think, I don't think this is going to change my opinion of him as being the greatest player we've seen, but I, I think it's going to hurt his all time standing in the sense that, you know, we all expect he's going to blow past every single wins above replacement leaderboard and he's still might. He's only 31, but he was having a decent season and the injuries just keep piling up. And if he's going to play 80 games every single year, those counting stats, I think will be more difficult to get to. So I guess what I'm trying to say is he is a slam dunk, 100% Hall of Famer. Nothing possibly could change that, at least on the field, right? Will this hurt his standing as baseball's best player, like ever? Because that's where I thought we were headed. I think no question. For a couple of reasons, one of which is the counting stats, you know, where it looked like, oh, he'll easily get to 500 home runs and maybe 600. Now, like, my guess is, without looking too closely, 600 is getting close to off the table and 500 still within sights. But, like, there's a lot of these things. And then, let's be honest, like, this window with Otani looked like his best window to get to the postseason again most likely Otani's going to leave the Angels are going to take a step back we could be entering a fallow period for the Angels again and Mike Trout is under contract for a long time so even if he like regains some of his standing it's going to be accumulating numbers in a non-competitive environment and there's a lot of people for better or worse who like have sort of written off some of his career accomplishments because like he's done it for somewhat irrelevant teams. Yeah, I don't think that this is going to go well for the uh, Angels. <laughs> like Dan Zborski wrote about this at Fangars with his projection system. He does the Zips projections and he says, this probably costs the Angels two wins for the remainder of the season, which like doesn't sound like a lot, but it really is when you're talking about the wild card race. Like this makes them essentially a 500 team. And what I think is going to happen, and tell me if you think I'm wrong on this, the next, we are what, just under a month until the trade deadline. Every single day of that month will be spent with people asking, so where are they going to trade Shohei Otani? And even though there's merit in that idea, they're not actually going to trade Shohei Otani. Like, they're they're just not. Should they? Yeah, maybe. Will they? I think you feel differently than I do on this, right? Like, I think you look at, you know, the Juan Soto deal and say, yeah, yeah, it could happen. And I think it could or should, but they're just not going to. Yeah, no, I, I don't think they will trade Otani. I don't probably don't think they should because I think they're still – a puncher's chance they end up in the postseason and there will be hype around him. I mean, maybe we should go back to, we should pivot to some good news and talk about Otani because like he might set the AL record for home runs this year. Like, like last year, that was a big deal. Aaron Judge has 62 home runs. Like Otani is basically exactly where Judge was in terms of home runs at the same number of games played last year. Um, I mean, he's probably not going to stay as hot as he just did because he might've just literally had the best month in baseball history, but He's having an incredible season. He's so good that, like, it's possible they still figure out a way to sneak into the wild card if, you know, Trout comes back sooner than expected. So, like, I don't think he's going anywhere. When you just said that he may have had the best month in baseball history, that sounds like hyperbole. It just sounds like the kind of thing you toss out on a podcast without thinking about it. But it might actually be true. Like, Jeff Passan wrote about this and Emma Bacleary wrote about this. And if you combine what he just did in June, right? 15 homers as a batter. Uh, he hit 394 with an OPS of 1,400. Oh, and also he's a pitcher. I don't know if you guys know this. He pitches and he hits uh, 326 ERA in five games, 37 strikeouts in 30 innings. And I'm not going to like you know repeat all of the research that they did, but if you go back through all of history and you try to find even just like batting months that good, there's only a handful and none of those people pitched. <laughs> like you, you can say this. Without some people get upset that like oh you're overhyping Otani what's he ever done in the playoffs it's like he maybe just had the best month any baseball player 
has ever had. And if you look at what he's on pace for, uh, Fangraphs has him uh, on pace for 56 homers, 20 steals. So that would be 7.2 wins above replacement as a position player and 3.2 as a pitcher. That's a 10.4 wins above replacement season, which would again be one of the greatest of all time. Here, here's my question. He's absolutely winning the MVP, barring injury, right? Like there's no question about this at this point. Wander Franco, Lise Robert, like those guys are fine. They're not going to overtake him. I want to see a season where he wins MVP and Cy Young at the same time. Like I think that would be super fun. Obviously, we've seen it before with like just pitchers, but I want to see it from like because he's going to win it as a as a position player. That's why he would win the MVP. And can he win the side too? There's not like an obvious front runner. I don't think if you look at the American League, because like McClanahan's hurt and Grom is hurt, and the, the front runners right now are like Kevin Gosman, Framber Valdez, Nathan Evaldi, like good pitchers. But I don't think there's anyone obviously blowing away the field like Otani is at MVP, like Acuna is at MVP in the National League. I, that is what I want to happen for the rest of the season. Like, tell me there's a shot of this. I think that like Romber Valdez and Garrett Cole are probably a little bit ahead of him just because like the first thing voters look at is ERA, right? That's like the first thing. And he's right now a notch below those guys. And I do think that like, spoiler alert, when we get to our revisiting our preseason projections, there will be a little bit of a, I don't want to say a narrative behind Garrett Cole, but he's never won it. So I think that there will be people who are looking to maybe vote for him, but it's certainly possible. Like he's with, he's in the, he's in the conversation. As you said, there's no obvious front. McClanahan looked like he was turning that way. Injuries make that less likely. So sure, he's got a chance. Let's see it happen. All right, fair enough. We'll take a quick break and we'll be back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We are back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Mike Petro and Matt Myers. Each week we have our three batter minimum where we come up with three interesting topics for the week. Number one is it's halfway through the season, actually slightly more than halfway. Uh, we are going to look back at our preseason predictions over my objections, I should point out. I said that to Matt this morning because I went and looked back and I said, I'm not happy with a lot of these. I don't know that I actually want to point out some of the things that I, I or we were wrong about. And yet here we are anyway. Uh, Matt actually went back and listened to our preseason projection show just to make sure he got it all right. And I feel like what this shows me uh, is less about like our process and what we you know should have been better about and more about like how weird the season has gone. Like we're going to talk about some of these teams that we were wrong on. Do I feel that bad about saying that I thought the Reds would be a terrible team? 
not really. <laughs> like, I, I think that was sound process. Things have happened. Obviously, I, I wish I could have said something better than, I don't know, 62 and 100, as I did. Uh, I don't know that I underrated them terribly. Like, who saw that coming, right? The Rangers are kind of the same way. Uh, you know, the, the whole NL Central is a mess. Uh, do you think we were wrong by saying the Padres were going to be a good baseball team? Like, I don't feel bad about being wrong for a lot of these. No, I don't. I mean, that's part of what makes baseball prognostication so difficult is like it can be pretty random over, you know, 50 games, 100 games. You know, I was reading Joe Sheehan this week. He wrote something that I thought was like interesting that I thought about. I've been thinking about a lot. He was like, he said until August 1st, he's, you know, your mileage may vary, basically until August 1st, preseason projections are more valuable than what we've seen in the season thus far or as valuable than what we've seen in the season thus far. Basically, like the information we're able to gather in a full off season, projecting a full season is as valuable. And I think there's probably some truth to that. Like when you think about it this way, like right now, obviously the probably the, the biggest gap, we're looking at two, two teams in the same division, right? Let's say the Marlins and Mets, probably the biggest opposite of what we would have expected. But like from here to the end of the season, like what what do we think? What do we think? Like do we think that the Marlins will still be better than the Mets? Like like if we start from zero now, where would we, where would we net out? And so I think like, like that's part of this exercise is like how much has actually happened that really changes our belief over who the best teams are. Obviously the game the wins are banked, so like we can't go back on it now. I guess there's no question the Marlins are more likely to make the playoffs than the Mets because of the wins that they've banked. But going forward, who actually is the better team? Who would you feel more confident in having a better record from here on out? And I think that, you know, it's we like to be accountable on this podcast. So I think it's important that we go back and and we revisit some of our our picks and see what we liked and see what we didn't like and see where maybe we we went wrong. To, to answer your question, I don't like either of those teams going forward. Although when I saw the way the Marlins walked off the Cardinals last night, I think maybe <laughs> Marlins Devils magic might be a real thing. Who knew? It wasn't Yadi Molina who was making those Cardinals teams great. It was Skip Schumacher. <laughs> didn't see that coming. That was a surprise. And I didn't say you had to like either the Marlins or the Mets. I was just asking which one do you think would have a better record from here on out. So here we go. Let's go. I will go through my various division winners and playoff teams. And man, it was not great. Uh, <laughs> and then you can go through yours and we can go through our awards winners, maybe a little bit better there. And uh, see where we netted out. So my preseason predictions were Padres. Division winners were Padres, Brewers, Braves, Astros, Guardians, and Yankees. Um, In the National League, my wild card teams were the Dodgers, Mets, and Phillies. In the AL, it was the Mariners, Angels, and Blue Jays. And I think we had a lot of – I think we had four of the six division winners the same. Who who did you have? Um, I I had Padres – Cardinals, Braves. I'm proud of us both, by the way, for noticing the Braves over the Mets and the Phillies. Like the East looked like a tough division. And we both said, no, the Braves are the class of this division, you know, even though the other teams made, I think, more noise. Um, You know, I think in the Central, I picked the Cardinals, but I'm almost positive if I go back and listen to that show. It was without a lot of confidence. (laughs) I don't think anybody, you had to pick somebody. Uh, I picked the Padres over the Dodgers, although I'm pretty sure I said, hey, I really like the Diamondbacks. I like what they're doing. I'm not sure it's this year, but it's coming soon. And then in the American League, uh, Houston, Minnesota, and Toronto, uh, not that far off. I mean, Toronto's underperformed a little bit. I I had Tampa as a 91-win wildcard team. So I'm not going to feel that bad that I didn't choose them as a 102 win division winning team or whatever they're going to end up as. Like if I look at my uh, 12 
playoff picks, the Cardinals are the one that stand out the most. But like, we didn't do these with con- confidence intervals, right? <laughs> okay, I didn't say, well, the Cardinals are an 88 win team, but I could also see them winning 68 or 98, which I guess is kind of where they were. So those are okay. I think that the two teams, I feel like I wish I could have gone back and changed uh, my thoughts on a little bit uh, would be Baltimore and Texas, right? I had Baltimore as basically a 500 teams. I didn't trust the starting rotation at all. Texas, I had slightly under 500 just because they made all these big moves and I didn't think the depth was going to be there. And if I'd known at the time DeGrom would barely pitch and yet they would still be playing out of their minds, that I don't think it's unfair to say, well, I didn't see that coming. For me, the team that I feel like I probably missed the most on was the Rays. I don't even think I had them in the playoffs. So that's kind of a big whiff, whiff on my part. Um, the Reds, I don't really feel bad about. Like no one saw that coming. And kind of to my point before, I still think there's a little bit of smoke and mirrors there. I mean, they've at least like tangibly improved their team by adding like McLean and Ellie De La Cruz to the roster. And those are like they've added two very good players who've definitely raised their floor. I still, honestly, my Brewers pick I actually feel pretty good about because if you ask me today who I think is going to win the AL Central, I'll still stick with the Brewers. That's one of the picks that I had where I was like, I will, I will stick with it. Um, similarly, I'd probably stick with the Guardians. It's close enough now that like I'd stick with them in the, uh, AL Central. So those, those, those and, he, and similarly, like the Astros, Joe Posnanski wrote, wrote about them, and he he said something like, he was like, you know, I remember when I used to watch tennis, I'd watch Pete Sampras, and he would be playing terrible, and then you look up at the end of the set, and he'd be winning 6-5 because he never loses on the surf. And that's, and he's like, the Astros remind me of, of that, where it's like, it feels like they haven't really played that well, like nothing's gone right, and as it stands right now, they are two games behind the Rangers and in the wild card race right now, I kind of think the Astros are still going to win the division. So looking back on some of my picks, like I feel pretty good about it. I feel like I definitely whiffed on the Rays for sure. That's probably the big, and I guess the pod race too, but that one feels like a lot of people whiffed. The ones that I feel bad are the ones where like, I don't feel as bad when a lot of people whiffed on them when I was part of the, the masses, when it's like there was reason to believe in the Rays, just like there was reason to believe in the O's and just didn't, didn't believe. Yeah, you know what's funny? I think the two teams that I'm going to miss the most on terms of win totals will be the Reds. I had 62. I'll be short by at least 20 there. And the Royals, who I had winning 69 games, and they might not win 50. So I didn't think I'd be way high on a team I thought would lose 93 games. I mean, I guess it's got to balance out somewhere. <laughs> if somebody wins uh, and somebody loses. What about the award? So I, I feel great about my American League MVP prediction of Shohei Otani. That one's going to work out. Uh, I, I feel shockingly decent about five of my six award picks, I think. So I'm going to go through mine real quick. Otani is clearly winning. Awesome. Uh, Luis Castillo in the American League, he's in the mix. I, I'll say that. He would not win today over Gosman for Amber in the mix. And uh, Gunnar Henderson, I think, is also, after a slow start, very much in the mix. Although I, I think the winner today might be Josh Young of Texas, or uh, possibly Masataka Yoshida. Uh, but uh, Henderson's in the mix. So I'm happy with those three. In the National League, I picked Corbin Carroll. Definitely going to win the Rookie of the Year. I picked Juan Soto as MVP. He's not going to win because Acuna's going to win, but he's had a great couple months. I picked Aaron Nola as my side. I don't think that's going to work out too well for me. But I can live with each of these picks because I, I know I'm right for at least two, and I might get lucky with a third. Those are those are very solid across the board. Um, I feel pretty. I mean, my NL MVP pick was kind of a disaster, Manny Machado. <laughs> that Ooh. that one is definitely not happening. I mean, Jose Ramirez in the AL in a non-Otani world, he's firmly in the mix and continues to be wild. I, I actually am ashamed last week 
when we were talking about the fans and the all-star voting. We talked about AL third baseman, and we'd even talk about, like, it's kind of ridiculous that actually Josh Young is starting the all-star game over Jose Ramirez. Like, that's one where, like, I think the fans kind of missed on because, like, Ramirez obviously has the track matter record and is having a great season, continues to be overrated. He continues to be, I mean, underrated. Underrated even by me, someone who goes out of their way to point out how he's underrated. So that's how underrated he is. Um, Zach Wheeler and El Cy Young, he's actually, his peripherals are really good. He's third in the majors in Fangraph's war, but he's got a 403 ERA and, like, a 290 XERA. So I'm not, I can't say I feel bad about that one because the process has been... Good for him. Garrett Cole, A.L. Young, as I mentioned earlier, I think he's got a good shot. National League Rookie of the Year, Jordan Walker is not going to win, but he's really come on. Looks good. He almost had a huge home run last night to give the Cardinals the lead with two outs in the ninth inning before the Cardinals uh, blew the game against the Marlins in absurd fashion for those who missed that one. But Jordan Walker will probably end up in the top five. Feel okay about that. And then I had Yoshida for A.L. Rookie of the Year. I don't think he'll end up winning, but maybe he. There's, he's got a. He's got a good shot. So I, my awards picks actually feel feel reasonably good about, it, except for Manny Machado. That one did not go well. You know what I feel good about? I picked the Braves to win the World Series. I picked them over Toronto. Now Toronto is not going to win the East, and they're not going to finish second. But I could see a scenario where they sneak into like wild card number six and get hot for a couple weeks, and you know, do the Phillies thing last year. Um, I think Braves raise as the obvious World Series pick right now, which means it is 100% guaranteed the World Series will not be Braves raise. I think we know that by now. But I'm I'm good with Braves. You had, oh no, I'm sorry. I'm looking now. That's not gonna that's not gonna work for you. <laughs> sorry, I had the I had the Padres over the Astros in the World Series. That one is probably still wouldn't shock me if the Astros end up there. Padres seems uh, seems pretty unlikely. But hey, this time last year, who would have seen the Phillies in the World Series? So you never know. Yeah, that's the thing. You can project all you want. And uh, I'm saying this as a, a lead into our next topic here about the Orioles. How could none of us seen Ryan O'Hearn being awesome coming after like five years of being terrible for the Royals? And now he's hitting cleanup for Baltimore. Speaking of Baltimore, they keep promoting interesting young players. Uh, this week, it was outfielder Colton Kowser, who's 23 years old, the number 14 overall prospect at MLB Pipeline. And if you look at like their roster, it's full of young position players, right? Gunnar Henderson's 22. Kowser's 23. Jordan Westberg is 24, as is Joey Ortiz, who had been up earlier in the year. Adley Rutschman's 25. You know, Ryan Mountcastle's 26. You got a couple of other guys in their late 20s. The only two, like, semi-notable guys who are over 30 are uh, Adam Frazier and Aaron Hicks, who they have apparently turned into, I don't know, the new Ryan O'Hearn or whatever. They're, they're getting good at finding these veterans and making them good players. And the thing is, there's more coming, right? So Jackson Holiday won't be up this year. He's only 19 years old, but he's crushing it at high a it doesn't seem unreasonable to think he comes up at age 20 next year that is already way too many infielders uh heston kirstad who is 24 years old uh interesting backstory he was a, a top pick a couple years ago actually had some heart issues that kept him off the field for a couple years he's triple a now with a 944 ops he could probably be up later this year too and we haven't talked about any pitchers yet so like nine of their top 10 prospects are bats the 10th is D.L. Hall, who I feel like he's been around forever and hasn't really like had that breakthrough. Grayson Rodriguez is their big name. He has 735 ERA in 10 games started. And all of a sudden, you're looking at this team going, well, they're going to make the playoffs this year, most likely. They have more position players than they know what to do with. And yet Kyle Gibson or Tyler Wells might be the game one starter. And like, no disrespect to those guys. Wells especially has been very good. Dean Kramer looked great last night. Uh, but that they have the eighth highest rotation ERA. So 
I'm starting to wonder, can you take some of these really interesting young, especially infielders, like you can't play them all, and maybe find a bat above an arm? And Matt and I talked about this a little bit earlier. There are some rental starting pitchers out there. But if you're going to trade one of these young guys, you're probably not doing it for, you know, 12 starts. You're going to want to find some long-term pitching help. I, I'm not sure there's the right answer here. I feel like it's going to be somebody that we're not necessarily going to think of because you're going to be like, oh, my God, I didn't know Hunter Green was even available or somebody like that, right? In terms of rentals, Otani obviously is not getting traded. Blake Snell, I think, might definitely get traded, but maybe not here. Giolito, Aaron Nola, Julio Arias is terrible, but the Dodgers won't trade him. You know, James Paxton is like a weirdly interesting name because he's never healthy, but he's been pretty good. Could you get Scherzer before he opts out? Could you get Stroman? It's complicated, right? But I just feel like the Orioles are in this spot where they didn't go out and buy any starters last year, and that is what's holding them back right now. And now is the time to do something about it. And I think that like going through this exercise, it made me realize just how limited the the market is. Just knowing the, how the Orioles operate, they've been so meticulous. They're not going to trade. They're not going to get desperate and trade one of these top prospects for a rental, right? So it's like, okay, if they were going to trade for, let's realistically, the names you mentioned, I think Giolito, Eduardo Rodriguez, who's an opt-out guy, but will probably opt out. James Paxton will be very much on the table. Stroman, another opt-out guy. Those are the guys I think. Those guys I think can definitely be available. I don't think Otani, even Snell. I don't think the Padres will sell Nola. I don't think the Phillies will sell Urias. Not going anywhere. Like Scherzer's complicated, no trade clause. So I think it's like if you're looking at rentals. Let's say it's Giolito, Eduardo Rodriguez, James Paxton, Marcus Stroman. The Orioles are not trading a top prospect for one of those guys. Now the only way they maybe do it is if it's like the other team throws in something else, whether it's a pitching, a, maybe an, another pitching prospect who's like a little younger or a reliever with multiple years of team control. Point is they're not going to trade for a big, one of these top prospects for a rental. So it doesn't mean they can't make one of those deals, but if one of those teams thinks that they're going to get, oh, I'm going to get, you know, Colton Kowser for Lucas Giolito, that's like, that's not, that's not happening, right? So then you look at, you try and look at a couple years out, but maybe they're guys who have more than a year of control that it might be available. But none of the, like, the the clear sellers don't have those guys. The only guy I could come up with, and he's not a free agent until after 2025, is Dylan Cease. Um, so he's a name, that, and that I'm just making this up. This is not based on any, like, intel. It's just, like, trying to read the tea leaves of a team that might be looking to sell with a pitcher with years of team control. He's the only guy I could think of that would maybe be worth one of these prospects, a, a Heston Kierstad or something like that, that maybe there'd be a match there. But for a rental, like, that's not going to happen. I did think of two more guys uh, since we spoke about this this morning. And both of these guys, it's kind of a weird spot because they are on teams that w- have not been successful in a while and seem to want to be soon and maybe trading away like a good young starting pitcher is not the way to do that. However, Mitch Keller is interesting to me because the Pirates have totally fallen apart and he's pitching very well. Now, you know, how are you going to compete if you don't have Mitch Keller? That's an obvious question. Sure. Um, how about this one? How about from the Tigers? He's been hurt. He just came back. How about Tarek Skubal? right? That could be kind of an interesting one. The Tigers cannot hit. They can't pitch either. There's a larger problem there. But I could see, you know, he's 27 almost. He's going to be a free agent after 2026 if he's healthy. I feel like the Orioles are one of these teams where you could find a guy who hasn't quite like fulfilled his potential and you make him good. And I I think Scooble could be an interesting guy like that. Maybe, but at least someone like Keller, you go, okay, well, like I'm thinking in terms of who's my game one starter. 
And at least Keller, I could feel good about that. Scooble, like, I'm not sure, unless you were really confident you're going to fix him or you're going to take him to the next level. When is Keller a free agent? Do you happen to know offhand? Uh, it's either after 25 or 26. Okay. So that that one is interesting to me. Um they have to do something. And to be clear, maybe the market will happen. It will happen where they're able to trade for Marcus Stroman without giving up one of these like elite guys, in which case they would definitely, I think they they would do it. But I just, you know, I don't really know where the match is. It's hard to find these matches for these these starting pitcher rentals, given where the way the trend has gone the last few years and how few sellers there are. I do think they'll do something. I don't think it'll end up being a major thing. Um, so even like Jordan Montgomery, this guy, we even, he, he's been pretty decent. Uh, he's a free agent after the year. He probably won't cost that much. I'm increasingly convinced that the Cardinals will do like a soft sell. Like they're not going to blow it all up, but they're not going to just let everybody get to free agency. Maybe you package it with like, okay, now we've got a, a relief pitcher. Maybe it's Jordan Hicks or something, right? Like, sure. Jordan Hicks is your seventh inning setup, man, in front of Cano and Bautista. Good luck with that, everybody else. Like, the only problem I see with any of this is like, you take all of the words we just said about the Orioles and also apply them to the Dodgers. The Braves, like how many other teams also need starting pitchers? The, the, I guess we'll see with Toronto about uh, how Alec Manoa comes back when he pitches against Detroit this weekend. But it's not just an Orioles-specific issue, I guess is the problem, because whatever they want, everybody else will want too. Let's move on to our third topic. Let's talk about stolen bases for a sec. Uh, as intended by the rules changes, a little bit about the larger bases, but mostly about the pitch timer and the limits on pickoffs. Uh, stolen base success rate is wildly up. And this is kind of the point, right? The league wanted more excitement, they wanted more action on the bases, which I agree with. The new rules have done exactly that. And I was thinking about this. What, it's weird if you look at the stolen base leaders right now, because you have two guys wildly ahead of the pack. So Ronald Acuna has 41 steals. He is on pace for 77, which, by the way, he's on pace for a 40-homer, 77-steal <laughs> season, which I'm laughing because it's so silly. Only two guys have ever even done 30-50. Uh, Eric Davis in 1987, Barry Bonds in 1990. Ronald Acuna might do 40-77, and 77, which is insane. The other guy is uh, Oakland's Asturi Ruiz, who's got 43. He's on pace for 79. That's obviously his game. He's incredibly fast. Nobody else is on pace to get to 50. That's what's interesting to me. The big gap between those two and everybody else, uh, only 20, only 10 guys have 20 steals, and only Acuna and Ruiz are north of 27. Only seven guys are projected for 40. Now, having seven guys steal 40 base would certainly be uh, an improvement over recent years, but it's not like you have to go back 100 years to find it, right? As recently as 2013, we had eight guys who stole 40 bases, right? There are 47 players projected to get to 20. That would be the most since 2012. It's not that that number is wildly out of touch with decades of baseball. It's really, it's the 270s. We have not had two guys steal 70 in a season in over 30 years since Marquise Grissom and Otis Nixon in 1991, which are names I'm very happy to talk about. And so I find this interesting. Like, why is it just those two? Ruiz is a bit of an outlier. He's not a very strong hitter. He's obviously a very fast base runner. Acuna is having like a God level season. Why are we going to have this gap between two guys at nearly 80 and nobody else even at 50? I don't really know. And I wonder if there are certain players who are actually leaving steals on the table. Because Acuna just has like such confidence. It's pretty awesome to see. Ruiz is a, I mean, Ruiz is like a like a player from a time machine, right? There were like in the eighties, there were players like this littered all over the league and they disappeared once it, teams were like, oh, actually, no, we want guys with for power. This 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 archetype doesn't what does he have? One home run? Um Yeah, so, and he's not a great outfielder either. That's the thing too. Like he he's a one tool player and this is the tool. 
I will say, in my, when we did our preseason picks, I remember I was reminded I listed him as a dark horse AL Rookie of the Year candidate. I don't think he's going to win. He will probably get some votes by virtue of getting 70-plus steals. If he gets to 80, there hasn't been a player get 80 in a season since 1988, which is actually pretty wild. And he's got a real shot at doing it, as does, as, as does Acuna. So what I'm left with is the thought that I think there are probably some players leaving some steals on the table. Not exactly sure who those players are. Like, you know, looking at the list, I mean, you know, that it's that uh, probably that Wander Franco, Bobby Witt Jr., those guys are, would be two examples. Although I'm not sure they get on, at least Witt probably doesn't get in base enough to really enhance his his stolen base total by all that much. And it's hard to know exactly what their, their team strategies are. You know, Acuna also has the stature of just the, probably the trust that maybe some of these other players, younger players, don't have that he has but that's i mean like this, the, like the full-time green light right like you go when you feel like going yeah and, i mean and it's, it's kind of interesting too because the braves offense is so good that actually acuna who hits leadoff for them running is probably not in, in like from a like a bottom line number standpoint it's probably not wise like you're risking outs in front of some of the best power hitters and they've got six guys with 15 plus home runs like yeah, it's. I didn't want to get into it yet because it's too soon. But in like a couple of weeks, we're definitely going to be getting into. Are they the best and most balanced offense we've ever seen? Like, there's nobody on the team who's not hitting. Like nobody. Uh, but I, I agree with you that some teams and some players are leaving steals on the table. I've been thinking about this when it comes to the Mets. They have 69 stolen bases and seven caught stealings. That is a 91 percent success rate. And I'm thinking to myself, if you're going to be safe nine out of every ten times, then you are not stealing enough. Right, either continue stealing and be safe nine of it out of every ten times, or steal so much that eventually you're not safe that often, and you figure out what the right thing to do is. But I know the Mets have been hitting a little bit better lately. This feels like not enough steals. Come on, I it's I'm not usually the one saying old school baseball, more action on the bases, but a ninety one percent success rate that's too much success. I want to see more attempts here. I think the one guy on their team, Starling Marte, he's a unique case because he looks terrible in the outfield. He had double groin surgery. His lateral movement has been bad. He's negative six outs above average this year, so the numbers match the eye test. His sprint speed is way down. from its. He's, his sprint speed is now 27 feet per second flat, which is basically league average. So he's now, even though six years ago he was like 29 feet per second, he was ranked 16th in the league. Now he ranks 270th in the league in sprint speed. And yet he's 23 for 27 in stolen bases. Like he clearly just is super savvy and knows exactly what he's doing. But he's probably, he doesn't get on, he hasn't been getting on base that much. So for him, 23 for 27 is probably about where he should be. He he runs pretty aggressively when he's on. The one guy who feels like he probably could run more is Francisco Lindor, who's 11 for 12. He feels like he really, really picks his spots. That feels like a guy who could probably run more. But then again, he's often on base in front of Pete Alonso. So do you want to run in front of Pete Alonso? I don't know. Also, Lindor doesn't really hit singles. He basically hits doubles or homers or nothing else. So there's there's that too. Um, but he's the one guy I think when you look at the Mets who seems like he probably he's probably leaving steals on the table considering how often he's on base. Yeah, I don't think they'll actually do it. I think if they were going to do it, they would have done it already. And if that's not changing now, it will probably not change. We'll take a quick break, and Matt and I will each introduce you to a guy you should know a little bit more about. When 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We are back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast, Mike Petrio and Matt Myers. Each week, we love to end our show by introducing you to a pair of lesser-known guys you should know a little bit more about. My guy is playing so well so quickly that I felt like I needed to jump on this right away because I don't know that he's going to be lesser-known for very much longer, if he even still is. San Francisco catcher Patrick Bailey, who's hitting 302 with a 512 slugging. Does he have a 478 BABIP against lefties? He sure does. Is that going to stop me from highlighting him? It will not outstanding defender 98th percentile pop time 96th percentile framing last season in the minors he actually won the Rawlings gold glove award encompassing all minor league catchers he has a really interesting backstory and I and a lot of times we go back to like when he was a kid high school whatever um, for me it's the the way he has progressed through the minors last year at high a he hit 225 and this year he started at double a was there for two weeks and went to AAA, and he was there for two weeks. And then he was promoted to the majors on May 19th, only because Joey Bart, the incumbent, got hurt. And he's never going back down now, clearly. The Giants were 20 and 23 when he was called up. He's 27 and 17 since. If you want to hear high praise about a young player, listen to this. On June 30th, they were playing the Mets. He hit a three-run home run in the eighth inning off David Robertson. They were down 4-2, turned it into a 5-4 lead. And then in the ninth inning, he threw out Starling Marte, who we just talked about being a great base dealer, trying to steal. And manager Gabe Kapler said, and I quote, that was as good as it gets. That's superstar caliber stuff. That's an incredibly impressive thing. And remember how surprising it was when the Giants actually drafted him. So he was the 13th overall pick in the 2020 draft. Here is the headline from the San Francisco Chronicle that day. Giants surprise first round pick in the 2020 draft. Why? Because he's a catcher. Because Buster Posey was still there. And because they had taken Joey Bart number two overall in 2018. Now remember, 2018, that was the final Giants draft under the previous regime. Joey Bart has gotten to the majors, but it's not really panned out. He strikes out way too much. Now he feels like he's a clear change of scenery candidate because Patrick Bailey is here and they've been calling him Patty Barrels because when he was at NC State, he homered from both sides of the plate in the same game twice, once as a freshman, once as a junior. Nobody who ever played at NC State has done that even once. So they called him Patty Barrels when he got drafted. There was no college baseball in 2020. There was no minor league baseball. So he actually went right to Oracle Park to be at the alternate site, the taxi squad, where he spent all summer catching like major league pitchers, which I've seen him say really helps him here. He, I don't want to say out of nowhere, number 13 overall pick, right? 
but he did hit 225 in the minors last year at a ball and look at him now and matt i i finished this with a trivia question for you he was not on the opening day roster who was the opening day catcher for the giants this year it wasn't him it wasn't joey bart it was Kurt Manwaring. Kurt, whoa. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Jeff Reed. Nope. Didn't see that coming. Uh, Roberto Perez, uh, Cleveland legend Roberto Perez, who they'd signed as like a veteran backstop, got into five games where he destroyed his shoulder. And now it's going to be Patrick Bailey, which means that Joey Bart is going to end up being traded to Cleveland, Miami, somewhere. It's not going to be San Francisco. Patty Barrels. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he's one of these players who has this profile where because the I mean, the early returns on like the framing and pop time are so good and those are skills that stabilize pretty quickly. So you feel like great, we don't know where things are going with the automatic strike zone. So let's just put that aside for a second. But these are like skills that translate immediately. And he obviously has power. He has a 27% strikeout rate and a 3% walk rate thus far, so there's probably some could be exploited in some ways, but there's like clearly skills, a a catcher with power who's a great framer and has great prop time. That player is going to stick. Um, he looks like he's a player. He's going to be a player for the for the Giants. It, it was weird. You know, people always say like, oh, you don't draft for, for need in the, in the baseball draft. It was still surprising as a position like catcher when they took a pitcher, catcher two overall two years earlier. Um, and Bart had been good to the minors, I think, up until that point. But obviously, there were some flaws that, that have been exposed. And he's now 26 and in AAA. So it definitely seems now like Bailey, Bailey is their catcher of the future. For my guy this week, I want to talk about a player on the Cincinnati Reds because there's been a couple times – this year, where I think I've sort of made reference to how the Reds, part of the reason the Reds have surprised is sort of like getting great performances from, you know, sort of second tier 4A type players. And I think one of the players, admittedly, I kind of had in mind, and maybe this is not a fair characterization of uh, 4A is not a fair characterization, but maybe second tier prospect is TJ Friedel. Now, TJ Friedel is having a fantastic year for the Reds thus far, and is definitely part of their. Their, their success, like a, their surprising success. He's hitting 309, 377, 470, which is a 122 OPS plus. He's 16 for 17 in stolen bases. Very efficient base stealer. He's two outs above average in the outfield. So he's playing a very, very solid, slightly above average outfield. And admittedly, you know, the secondary batted ball metrics are not kind. The, he does not hit the ball. His hard hit rate is like lower tier. I don't really know what the future holds for him. He has a, you know, when you go back and look at his, he was the number 19 Reds prospect two years ago, according to MLB Pipeline. You read the scouting report, it was basically like the pro, he profiles as a really good fourth outfielder. And I think that maybe that might still be the case based on the quality of contact he's been making. But I wanted to point him out because he has a really interesting backstory that applies directly to the 2016 Major League Draft, or the draft in general, and the draft is coming up this weekend. But I'll take you back to 2016. 2016, the Reds had the largest bonus pool in the draft that year. They had the number two overall pick, which they used on Nick Senzel. They made 41 picks that year with the largest bonus pool in that draft. Of those 41 picks, not a single one of them has positive war, according to baseball reference, right? Which is kind of hard to do. Now, there was one player they signed that summer who was not drafted, who has 2.2 war this year, and that is T.J. Friedel. And it's kind of a wild story. Basically what happened is T.J. Friedel, he walked on at the University of Nevada. So he wasn't even a, a highly regarded player coming out of high school. 
He played a little as a freshman, was not good. So he decided to redshirt as a sophomore in college. He did not play a sophomore year in college because the coach was like, yeah, you're not going to get playing time. So he wanted to preserve his eligibility. So he, he did not play his sophomore year, came back for his junior year as a redshirt sophomore and was was very good, right? He was a very good player that year. Um, but the, he did not realize that he was eligible to be drafted. Draft rules say you need to be 21 or have used three years of academic eligibility to be eligible for the draft. He thought you need to be th- have played three years of college to be eligible for the draft. So a week before the draft, this is all detailed in a very good story that Jerry Krasnick wrote at ESPN.com in 2016. A week before the draft, a scout called him up and was like, hey, you know, are you interested in being drafted? He was like, I'm not eligible. And the scout was like, yeah, you are. <laughs> <laughs> so good. <laughs> so he was like, ah, I think I'm going to go back to school. So no one drafted him. He went, he was so good, he went and played for Team USA that summer, which is basically where the best, a lot of the best, best college players either go play in the Cape Cod League or they play in Team USA, right? He went and played for Team USA that summer and was so good that he basically created a bidding war between the Rays and the Reds to draft him as a undraft, to sign him as an undrafted free agent. He ended up signing for $732,000, which is the largest ever bonus for a player who was bypassed in the draft. Um, and now, six years later, seven years later, the Reds have gotten nothing from the players they actually drafted that year. But the one guy who was undrafted, who ended up being undrafted because of a loophole, has now been one of their surprising success stories of the season. Can I uh, chime in with two TJ Friedel facts? When you mentioned that you're going to talk about him, I was like, why do I know this name? And mostly it was because of the draft thing, which was super weird. Um, but I actually remember, do you remember what happened on his first major league hit? Do you remember this story at all? I don't. No, it was actually super cool. And I, I remember it now. His first hit, uh, he was a pinch hitter against the Dodgers in 2021. He hits a home run, right? It was at home in Cincinnati. Goes in the right field. Mookie Betts goes, like not into the right field stands, but he like gets the attention of the guy who caught the ball because he knew what had happened. He's like, give me the ball, give me the ball. Like, I'll go bring you something. So Mookie Betts was the reason that TJ Friedel got his home run ball back. Because then later in the game, Mookie signed a bat and went and traded it to the fan to get that ball back. Which is like super cool. He doesn't know TJ Friedel from like anybody on the street. He's some like rando rookie on the Reds pinch hitting, which I thought was super cool. And this other thing I didn't know until I looked him up earlier. Did you know he's cousins with not one, but two major men's college basketball coaches? His cousin is John Calipari is one of his cousins. And then the head coach at Xavier, uh, Sean Miller, is also one of his cousins. Which is just like the weirdest thing. I, I don't really have anywhere to go from there in terms of storytelling other than... Here is me like reading a fact I read, but that's two. That's wild. The Mookie Betts thing is cool. I'm glad you mentioned the Calipari thing because I saw that on Wikipedia and I wanted to mention it, but all the other stuff got so wild, I didn't have time to get it in. So I'm glad you mentioned it. Before we go, you mentioned Mookie Betts. He's going to be in the Home Run Derby on Monday. I need your Home Run Derby pick. By the way, if you're going to watch Home Run Derby, you should watch it on ESPN too because there's going to be a special StatCast broadcast with me and Kevin Brown and Jessica Mendoza. Uh, Randy Rosarena. I I want it to be Mookie because I, I love the idea of a smaller guy like winning it, you know, as opposed to like the Aaron Judge types. And Mookie Betts has been great. I don't know. Th- this is a very non-stat-focused like take. Just like how many times have we seen Randy show up in these big moments? Like he kills it in the postseason the star of the WBC. I want him to hit 50 home runs and pose after every single one of them. Like that's what would make me happy. I was also reading before. So he, uh, Adolis Garcia and Luis Robert are all Cuban. And uh, Luis Robert was originally not interested in doing it. <laughs> He's like, yeah, but then, uh, you know, 
Randy and Anatoly said, yeah, we're doing it. You should do it too. Like us, us Cubans will have a great time. And he's like, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. That sounds like a lot of fun. Which, who's your pick? I'm going to go with Luis Robert. Honestly, like when I was thinking of all the players who might do it, like they, you know, we, had, we were at six players. I was like, oh, who's, a, who's still out there? I was like, maybe Otani will do it. Like Robert, for whatever reason, did not cross my mind. So when I saw he was doing it, I was like, ooh, that's fun. So like instantly I was like, all right, Luis Robert, that's my pick to click. I'm looking forward to it. It should be uh, pretty interesting. That will do it for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. See you next week.